Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, we're in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, if you're new or visiting, we're working our way through the book of Acts. Let's see, this is study, I think, number 56 or 57, so we've been in the book of Acts a little bit over a year, and uh, just so practical, so practical. As you're going to even see today, it's very, very practical, but before we do that, we're going to talk about anarchy this morning. If you're sticking your head in the sand, it's not going to help it to go away. Anarchy, anarchy. The definition of anarchy, absence of government, absence of government. So when you hear on the news that there's anarchy taking place, maybe you haven't bothered to stop and look it up and think about it, you young people, this is really affecting you and your generation because you are going to, you're very impressionable and if you look at the riots that are taking place, there's a lot of 20s, a lot of 20s out there marching and rallying, even younger. Very, very impressionable. Anarchy, a state of lawlessness or political disorder Do the absence of governmental authority. Uh, Seattle, I believe, not Seattle, Portland, I believe is in their 101st day of riots. Now, why would they be in their 101st day of riots with everything that we have available to us to take 100 or 200 protesters and arrest them and be done with it? The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy we represent God. We're not one nation under God, but we do believe in God. And there's still many, many people that are serving God and giving money to missionaries who are serving God. Satan wants to eliminate America in a big way. A utopian society, a utopian society. They were singing of this in the 60s, the age of Aquarius, of individuals who enjoy complete freedom without government. Now, if you think this is possible, just go home and tell your kids, do whatever you want to do. We're no longer disciplining and there's no longer rules in our house. Just do what you want to do. No problem in this household. See how long you last. You won't last but 10 minutes. Next definition, absence or denial of any authority or established order. That's Anarchy. So when you hear that word, this is the goal of the anarchist. I think we got another slide. The anarchist, a person who advocates or believes in anarchy or anarchism, a person who seeks to overturn by violence. Is this happening in our society? All constituted forms and institutions of society and government with no purpose. This is just craziness, but this is their mindset. With no purpose of establishing any other system or order of order in the place of that destroyed. Well, I wrote down some scriptures. encourage you to take a picture or write them down. And I'm not going to read them for the sake of time, but Exodus 18, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, John 19, 10 through 11. I'll read this one, but we're just late on time. So write these down. The, the Bible is full of government full of government, uh, secular government as well as religious government. John 19, then Pilate said to Jesus, are you not speaking to me? 
do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So guys, we're in desperate days, but remember, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and we as believers are not to join in anarchy. Young people, read the definition on your own, study it, meditate on it, and as believers, we are not called in any shape or form to try to overthrow our government. You will not find that in the scriptures. Jesus did not promote that. You will not find it. So be very, very careful what you listen to on YouTube, what you watch on YouTube, and what you listen to over the net. There's very dangerous stuff going on out there. Roman, uh, Acts chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria... He decided to return through Macedonia. Father, we just uh, ask for your Holy Spirit to continue in our worship of you, to strengthen our minds right now. There is just so much craziness going on in our country and in our world. But your son told us before he left, this would happen right before his return. It will be as it was in the days of Noah. It will be as it was in the days of Lot. Guaranteed. So, Lord, let us not be anxious or worrisome, but let us be confident of the truth we know in your word, that Jesus is coming back, and he is going to empower us to go through whatever we need to go through as believers. As we see hundreds, hundreds of Christians were martyred this past two weeks in Ethiopia, killed for their faith by Muslim extremists. Father, this is reality. The cross is costly. Our Christian faith will cost us. And so fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might be bold, bold as lions, but that we be wise as serpents and also gentle as doves. That unique combination that only the Holy Spirit can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, if you're new or visiting, Paul is on his third missionary journey, which took place in the original mid-50s, the original mid-50s. He had the blessing to be in Ephesus for over two years before the teachings of Jesus caused a riot to break out. And since he had already determined to travel into the area of Macedonia, it was a good time for him to move on at that point. Macedonia is where Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea were located. And he was traveling back through this area to encourage and exhort these young fellowships. As we just read in verse 3, he ended up in Corinth for three months. And it is believed that it was during this visit that he wrote the book of Romans, that he wrote the book of Romans. Somehow Paul caught wind of a possible assassination attempt, again in verse 3, on his life. So instead of taking the shortcut across the sea, Paul turns around and goes back through Macedonia, heading back to the region of Asia. So verse 4 and 5, And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aritarchus and Sukedas of Thessalonica, Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. Luke lists seven men here of various cities, various cities from the areas of Macedonia, Asia, and Galatia. 
Why are these men with Paul? Well, one reason is that they are carrying the offerings, the financial gifts from the various churches and are bringing those funds back to Jerusalem to bless the believers. Romans 15 says this, 25 through 27. Let's turn to Romans 15 very quickly. And again, we need to move quickly, so get your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the chairs. Ask someone or get up. Don't be embarrassed and grab a Bible. It's very important. What does the Bible say? Romans 15, 25 through 27. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. So we just read that Paul might have written Romans in Corinth, and now he's heading back to Jerusalem. So what we're reading here in Romans, Paul is literally writing in what we just read this morning in Acts. Isn't that crazy how the word ties it all together? But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, again, remember, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. You can forget what race you think you are. You're of the human race, and in the biblical terms, you're either a Jew, you have Jewish blood in you, or you're a Gentile. The Gentiles had the gospel taken to them, Paul was a minister to the Gentiles as well as other Jews, but predominantly Paul. And so the gospel went to the Gentiles to bring them in to make one church. It's not a Jewish church, a Gentile church, just one church. Saints, believers. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty, notice that, their duty is also ministered to them in material things. Now there's a, a teaching that's been going around for quite some time. It's gained some steam here and there over the centuries, and, and it's subsided, and it's grown, and it's subsided, and again, it's making growth again that the church has replaced Israel. And in the New Testament, everything that relies to Israel or applies to Israel now applies to the church because Israel has fallen from God's grace. Heresy, lie from the pit of hell. Read your Bible. God promises that Israel will be regathered in the land, that Jerusalem will become its capital, and that they will be the focal point during the seven years of tribulation spoken of in Revelation. So know your Bible. Know your Bible. So if somebody comes to you with this nonsense, you can say, no, you're absolutely wrong. The scriptures teach otherwise. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. So this is why if you've been coming for a while or if you're new, this is why we adamantly support Israel. Not that they do everything right. They don't. They're sinners just like everybody else. But God said to bless them, so we're going to bless them. God will take care of all the other stuff. I don't lift them up above any other person, but we do support them. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 3 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And you'll also find in the scriptures that Paul says to pray about what you should give. And that's why when you hear me pray about the offering, that's what the Bible says to do. You should pray, Lord, what would you have me to give? And I know a lot of times there's teaching out there, especially, uh, you know, tithe, 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 tithe. Fine, if you want to use that as a base, use it as a base. But why should I tell you to tithe if the Holy Spirit's telling you to give 50% one week? 
for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to give this much money to the church. And you're just going, well, you crazy, God? No way. Pastor says, I only have to tithe, so I'm just going to tithe. Who are we going to listen to? God or the pastor? Let's listen to God. And hopefully the pastor's in line with what God is saying. So here it just says, he doesn't give, you know, notice he doesn't say a tithe or 50% or 90%. He says what you've decided. Storing up as he may prosper that there's no collection when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. You see, the church in Jerusalem was going through hard times. I mean, think about it. This is so easy for us as Christians today. We have a very hard concept here in America. But it could have cost you your livelihood to become a Christian in that day and age. But you know what? It's coming to America, and it is in America. It is now costing Christians to take a stand that, no, I will not bake a cake for a gay couple. The baker in Colorado. He has survived, and the Supreme Court sided with him. But it cost him eight years of his life. Could you live under eight years of that pressure? Death threats? Threatening to burn his business down? Losing employees? Almost losing his whole business over one cake? Guys, that's reality. And it's happening in other states to other Christians as well. Florists, photographers, videographers. It's happening to Christians specifically. Very specifically. That person could have gone down to another cake store and gotten their cake. No, no, we're going to target you because you are a Christian and you do not believe what we believe in, so we're coming after you and we're going to destroy your life. Guys, this is happening on social media. Be very, very careful with your social media. It could cost you your job. Verse six, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. You see, Paul didn't make the Passover feast that he intended to in the previous chapter due to the plot on his life. So does Paul get upset and frustrated about that? Guys, think about our lives. We make plans. We want to be somewhere. We want to do something. Does Paul get upset and frustrated? No. He just plans on being in Jerusalem for Pentecost. I'd like to be there now for Pentecost. Didn't make, didn't make Passover. Let's shoot for Pentecost, which was 50 days after Passover. Pastor Chuck, who is our senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, who's been with the Lord for several years now, he used to say on a regular basis, and I encourage you to put this in your memory bank, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be broken. This can change your whole life. I have this memorized. I have it in my memory bank. And this is one of these little phrases that has given me tremendous patience via the Holy Spirit when my agenda gets interrupted and I'm not happy about it. I have to, oh yes, blessed are the flexible. That's right, blessed are the flexible. Okay, God, you got something else in store. Okay, 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 I gotta be flexible. Your anger will not come out. Your frustration, your rage will not come out. You see, it's way better to follow after the Holy Spirit than the flesh. Verse seven, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Notice that, 12, midnight. You see, he was preaching and teaching, preparing them in the word because they would probably never see him again, and they wouldn't. Notice that it was the first day of the week that the brethren came together for church and to break bread or to have communion. Remember that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians during his two-year stay in Ephesus, 
where he explained the celebration of communion in detail that we just celebrated this morning. So even as we're going through Acts, you're starting to see, oh, the letter here, the letter here. Oh, okay, this, this mission, this is making sense. So hopefully, as you continue to read, the pieces of the puzzle will continue to be laid out. But let's look at the first day of the week, because that was a Sunday. And you will find that that is when the believers met to have church. It was the day to come together to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and Lord, Jesus the Christ. Why do I point this out? Because there are some people, as well as various church denominations, that say that if you worship on Sundays, that you're not saved. Because you are worshiping the sun goddess. Sun, Sunday, they believe that you should be, have church from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath even to this day. In Israel, when you go to Israel with us, Jerusalem specifically, everything shuts down. Taxis, buses, tra- everything shuts down. And you will, you will never take a bus into a Jewish Orthodox area because the bus will be destroyed with stones. Can't work, but you can throw stones. That's just their firm belief. No work on Sunday. But what these people forget about their logic of worshiping in the false gods is that Saturday is named after Saturn, the ancient Roman god of agriculture. You see, there is a self-righteousness within humans that cause them to try to make mandate, man-made regulations to make others appear evil. This would be a good definition for religion, which can creep into Calvary Chapel as well. There is a self-righteousness within humans that cause them to try to make man-made regulations to make others appear evil. They believe that they're Christians because they worship on a certain day of the week. Does that make a person Christian because you worship on a certain day of the week? You all know. No, it does not. Not at all. Romans chapter 14 But it does make for a very pious religious person. Romans chapter 14. As you're turning there, I'll give you a very interesting story. There was a Mormon gal who received Jesus as her savior. So she came out of the Mormon church. And she actually went to Israel with us on a trip. She heard the word of God. She was attending this church. She was getting uh, established. And all of a sudden she disappeared. And it was several months later that she showed back up, uh, came to my office. And she sat down across from my desk and started to tell me that I am not saved. I'm what? I'm what? I'm not saved. Why? Tell me why I'm not saved. I got to hear this one. Why am I not saved? Because you teach the Bible on Sunday. And worship is only supposed to be sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. So if you think I'm just throwing this stuff out there because there's nothing better to talk about, no, this is real. This is reality today, even under the banner of Christianity. So she went from one cult, got into Christianity, and joined another cult. You have to be mature enough to stay in the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, learn the truth, learn the truth, learn the truth, and don't think you become a theologian in six months or a year But submit to those who have been in the faith and are teaching from Genesis to Revelation. Submit in a healthy submission, obviously. Not a cultish submission, but a healthy submission. Because there's a lot to learn about the Bible. Well, Romans 14 tells us what? Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he he will be made to stand for God 
is able to make him stand. Notice that. We are God's servants. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each, notice this, he's writing to believers, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For here's the whole reason why. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. So who am I to tell you you shouldn't eat steak and I can or you should eat steak because I do or oh, I should only eat vegetables because you only eat vegetables and we're walking around judging each other. No, if, if for health reasons you need to do certain things, you do those things. That's between you and God. But don't condemn somebody else who doesn't do what you do. This is what this is all about. Stop judging each other. Lift each other up in prayer unless it's willful, unless it's sin. Then you go Matthew 18 privately. For if we live, notice, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. You see, it's pretty clear. It's pretty easy. Back in Acts. You see, Paul taught the people until when? Keep this in mind, midnight. Now the people worked on Sunday. So this meeting is taking place after their workday was over, and here's another subject of debate within some Christian circles, working on Sunday. But we just read about the days of the week. You see, if there's a definite need and you're in church fellowship on another day, then don't live in guilt. Just serve the Lord with gladness each and every, each and every day of the week. That's what we're to be doing as believers, each and every day of the week. Well, these people have worked all day long and now Paul is going on and on about the scriptures and the Lord. Look in verse eight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Why does the Holy Spirit put what appears to be useless information here? There's no useless information in the Bible. Let's remember that these Christians were looked at as starting a new religion. And this religion is based on agape love, agape love which is unconditional, selfless, committed love. You see, that's a foreign concept to unbelievers. Matter of fact, unbelievers cannot have agape love because agape love only comes through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can give us agape love. It was also rumored that these Christians were into sexual immorality because of their emphasis of love. Quite the opposite is true as God calls us to live morally pure lives within marriage as well as prior to marriage or even after marriage if the spouse were to die or a divorce takes place. Another thing that their religion was based upon eating the body of a man and drinking his blood. That would be considered cannibalism. So when the church would gather at night, they would light the place up so that those who might pass by would look in and see exactly what these Christians were doing. You see, these Christians didn't have anything to hide. But what I do find interesting is that there are some organizations slash churches today that are closed to public viewing unless you're a member of their organization or church. They have their secrets because supposedly they hold the truth and are an elite group within the society. 
specifically in our area, Mormons and the temple. Now, this is not a bash on religion. This is just a fact. So don't get upset about the facts. A lot of people today are getting upset about the facts. Don't confuse my emotions with the facts. I want to be emotional. No, they're just the facts. The bottom line about these organizations' churches is that it's not scriptural. The organization of Christianity, the church, does not have secret revelations, but is open to anyone who desires to get right with God through the teachings of the whole Bible. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. You see, it doesn't only happen to you on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. (laughs) And I get to see it too. (laughs) He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continues speaking, he fell down from the third story. This would be a little distraction, wouldn't it? And taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, Paul departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Matter of fact, they were ecstatic, in other words. They were really, really strengthened. Notice that Paul was the one to blame for Eutychus, and his name means fortunate. (laughs) Falling asleep. But it was really a combination of a few things. Let's look at these things. The oil lamps were using up the oxygen in the room as well as putting off toxic fumes that would have traveled out what? A window. Where was Eutychus? Hanging out in the window. They had also worked all day, and I'm sure that many of them were tired. So if Paul started sharing and teaching about eight at night, let's just pick a number, we'll just say eight, four hours would have already passed by because he taught till what? Midnight. So it's not too surprising that Eutychus fell asleep. I would have. But what was surprising that he falls out the window. (laughs) Just a little distraction. But Paul just takes it in stride, rushes down to pray for him. Notice that the Luke who writes Acts, he's a physician. We know this from the scriptures. Luke the physician says, he is dead. D-E-A-D, as my nephew used to spell it. And then he said that Paul kicks him in the side and yells at him for being a distraction. No. Paul takes ministry in stride and heads outside to check on Eutychus. Remember Paul, or maybe Paul remembered the situation with Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. The story is found in 1 Kings 17. You can read about it. A young man had died and Elijah stretched himself upon the young man three times, praying that God would bring his spirit back into his body. God raised the young man from the dead and Elijah presented him alive to his grieving mother. So Paul fell upon Eutychus and embraces him. God grants another miracle and the young man was restored to life. So what does Paul do? We just read about it. Okay, everybody go home. You're all tired. Everybody go home. <laughs> he goes back upstairs, has something to eat with the flock, and he teaches for possibly another six hours. It's going to be another long work day, but they had heard that they might never see Paul again. Would you be willing, would I be willing to sit with somebody if I knew I would never see them again? Especially the scriptures. Would we be willing to sit with somebody? So hearing what Paul had to teach about the word was far more important than sleep. Ah, you can catch up on sleep some other time. 
You see, that should be our desire even these days we're living in. Are we willing to gather, even though we're tired, to break through what God might have for us? Verses 13 through 16. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Essos, where intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Essos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there and next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day we came to Miletus. And I may have butchered those, so forgive me. For Paul had desired to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So, the team works their way to Miletus, passing by Ephesus, so that Paul might make it to Jerusalem again before Pentecost. But notice what's going to happen in verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Before his third missionary journey is over, he is going to stop and invite the elders from Ephesus to a pastor's conference. And if you've never had the privilege of going to a pastor's slash leadership's conference, the next two weeks, you're going to attend one. So I encourage you to read the rest of chapter 20. So we're going to be going over the next few weeks. There's some very important truths, good as well as bad truths, about what can take place within a church setting. And as we continue to head down 2020 and get into 21 with either a new president or the sitting president, there's going to be a lot of change coming. Everyone is pretty much stating this and it is a fact. And so for you and I, For those of you who are watching, you understand many of you have to stay at home. That's wise. That's good. Just don't do that in fear. If you're staying home because you're afraid, you need to be in church somewhere. We need to continue to assemble together. You young people, as you go off to college, you might be leaving us. Find a Bible-believing Christian church to attend. Stay plugged in. It is not going to get better. Don't believe in the Christian fiction that it's going to get in better. Believe in what Jesus said. It will be as it was in the days of Noah. It will be in the days of Lot. I don't like that. I'm grieved about that. But yet I do like that because Jesus is coming back. I I can relate more now than I ever have when I read, and maybe you can as well when I say this. Do you remember that guy Lot? Anybody remember Lot in the Bible? Who was Abraham's nephew? And he had everything and he got rid of everything to go live in Sodom. And all of a sudden he's got nothing but a wife and two daughters and two other daughters that have been married now. And then he goes off and leaves and gets drunk and has sex with his daughters because he thought the world had ended. And then in the New Testament, the Bible in the New Testament calls him righteous Lot. You see, God knows a lot about Lot that I have no idea about. And God called him righteous. And why did he call him righteous? Because the Bible says that he was vexed. He was grieved about everything that was happening in Sodom. He was grieved. He was grieved. And you see, when we're grieved via the Holy Spirit, we're going to do what? We're going to pray for those who are deceived. We're going to take the gospel to those who are deceived, trying to reach them for Christ. 
Not wish them to hell, but pray them to heaven. We're going to do our best to be the best Christians we can be, not for self-righteous purposes, but for an example for those who have no hope. No hope. So guys, we have a very important role to play in this next few years. A very important role. It doesn't matter who gets in the White House. A very important role to play on what's going to take place in the lives of saints who need heaven. I mean, I'm sorry. Sinners who need heaven. So for you and I, stay focused. Stay focused. It's just going to get crazier. Father, we thank you and praise you that we see these examples in the scriptures. And for some reason, so many Americans just think it's not going to happen to us. We're Americans. We're Americans. This is not going to come to America. And it's already here. Help them to get their heads out of the sand and to wake up to your word, that your word is going to come to pass. There is going to be anarchy upon the face of the earth. Satan is loose and he is called the God, the little G of this world. He is influencing powers to bring about a one world religion, a one world economy, a one world government. We see it. It's crazy. We're seeing it happening before our eyes. So Father, help us not to push it away and pretend it's not there, but to embrace it and to pray, pray, and pray some more for those people around us that we might minister to them to receive Jesus as their Savior before it's too late. You're taking your church off the earth, Father. We are not appointed unto your wrath. What will they do then? So, Father, use us now as ambassadors for Christ on this side of the rapture. Use us now to minister the gospel. It may cost us our career. It may cost us our life. But if we speak the truth in love, in love, then we know we're doing the right thing. Help us to have healthy balance in our Christian ministry. And we've got some extra time, so maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as your Savior and you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior right now. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. It's not so much the prayer, it's about your heart. And if in your heart you want to receive Jesus, you're ready to repent, you're ready to turn to God, turn from your sin and turn to God. There are people around you, saints around you are praying for you. They don't know, maybe know you by name, but they're praying in the heavenlies. And you'll come to understand what this means later on. But they're interceding in the spiritual realm right now for your soul. And so if you would like to receive Jesus right now, just pray this simple prayer. God, I understand. I get it. It clicked. It makes sense. So I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a savior. I acknowledge that I cannot get to heaven on my own. So I repent. I turn to you, Father, 
And I ask for your forgiveness. God, I ask your Holy Spirit to come in me. I don't exactly know what that means, but I trust you're going to teach me. So I ask for your Holy Spirit to come in me. I ask Jesus to be my Savior. And I now say thank you. Thank you, God, that according to your word, which I'll learn, all my sins are forgiven. And I am now your son. I am now your daughter. God, I I thank you that I can truly now say, my father, that you are my God, my Father, Abba, intimacy. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, for the rest of us as saints and for these new saints, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit as we go out into the battlefield. The battlefield most of the time is right between our ears. Help us not to fill it with all the nonsense that's going on in politics, all the arguing, all the debating, all the false accusations, all this, all that. Father, help us to fill it with your word. We want to be wise. We want to know what's going on. But Father, more importantly, we want to know what's going on in your word. That we might have the peace that surpasses understanding in a world that is imploding. Give us that peace via your Holy Spirit, via your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.